Social Justice Matters, a podcast series looking at the social mission of the Catholic Church. Hello and welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from the Department of Social Justice, as we call it these days. Now, that sounds a bit jaunty because this is a serious one, a serious topic, domestic abuse. And I have to say, actually, I was quite staggered by some of these statistics, such as one in four women and one in six men, that surprised me, suffer from domestic abuse in their lifetime. And two women, sadly, are killed every week in England by a partner or ex-partner. I'm joined by Stephanie McGillivray, sitting opposite me. Now, they're very stark statistics, aren't they? They are. It's shocking, actually. And I think that one of the problems is we've become a bit desensitised to such shocking statistics these days. And sometimes you kind of think about this all one in four, one in four. But actually, when you think about it, this is crazy. You know, in our office, that means two members in our team of eight. It's yeah. It's crazy. Exactly a quarter. That's staggering. And I don't know, maybe this is a stereotype, but one in six men. I think that will surprise some people, actually. It always does. Um, I think, obviously, that we never want to detract from the fact that the main victims from this are women. But we can't forget that there are men who suffer as well. And this is, you know, it's, it's a universal issue for everybody to think about. Well, I'm glad we're doing something on it, particularly as it is sadly so prevalent now the reason we're doing this now is that we we actually have some some audio that we recorded a little while ago didn't we back in june 2019 where steph you chaired a panel discussion looking at what we can do positively to change the culture on domestic abuse in families at work and crucially in our churches because we sometimes think we're a bit above it all but we're we're not in this case are we well exactly i think people tend to think you know or we're catholic or christian and and our churches are, are safe places but actually you know if the fact is that there are one in four women and one in six men that this will be happening in our churches too i'll just name drop a, a great report which was published a while ago um called in our churches too and um it was published by restored but it essentially highlighted the fact that in our churches there are women men and families who suffer from this well let's pick up on that you spoke to or spoke with as a panel discussion uh, three people really interesting audio it's good for me because i wasn't there so i actually heard the whole thing through when i was going through it tell us a bit about the three organizations so we've got nikki dylan Keane. Nikki is a counsellor. She's actually, interestingly, as I mentioned in the podcast, a deaf counsellor as well. So she works with the oh, deaf yeah. community in which actually there's an even higher prevalence of domestic abuse for disabled people generally. But in, in the deaf community especially, there's a very high percentage of people who do suffer from domestic abuse. Yeah, but Nikki is also a counsellor. She works in the Westminster Diocese and she's also the author of a book, Domestic Abuse in Church Communities. So again, really highlighting the fact that this happens in our churches and we are the people who need to educate ourselves and learn about what we can do to stop it. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely on our doorstep, uh, Mm. I'm afraid, that one. And we also hear from Elizabeth Filkin. Tell us about Elizabeth and where she's from. Yeah, so Elizabeth has had a colourful career, mostly working in Parliament. She was formerly the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards, so she's a very exacting lady. Um, (laughs) She's had plenty on her plate. Absolutely, yeah. So she's now currently the chair of the Employers Initiative on Domestic Abuse, which is a collection of organisations who have essentially signed up to making their organisations 
places in which people feel comfortable to disclose maybe that they're being abused. One of the USPs about the Employers Initiative is that they work very closely also with perpetrators, which is one of the things that, again, we don't really think about. We think we should help victims and survivors, and obviously we should. Yeah, quite right. But the thing is that the culture won't change unless the perpetrators are also helped. Yeah, it's hard for people, I think, understandably, to get their head around that. But as you say, it's, it's you know, if you really do want to make a difference, mm. an important part of the equation. Well, it's a very interesting panel discussion, but well worth listening to. Let's hear it now. I'm really pleased to have our speakers here this evening with us. We have Nikki in the middle who works as a counsellor. Interestingly, Nikki is in one part of her life a sign language therapist which I'm sure everyone will be interested in talking to her about. Um, But she's also a counsellor who works with survivors of domestic abuse and has written a book called Domestic Abuse in Church Communities, A Safe Pastoral Response. And then we have Elizabeth Filkin, who is the chair of the Employers Initiative on Domestic Abuse and was formerly the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards. The Employers Initiative is a network of more than 250 companies and other public sector organisations, of which the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales is one. The aim is to provide information for employers about how to support employees who are experiencing domestic abuse, but also helping to identify and help perpetrators as well. We're now going to talk to Nikki, who's going to talk a bit more about her own work in the field of what church communities can do, what Christian communities can do, and what is a safe pastoral response to domestic abuse. Yeah, I, th- I came to working with, with domestic abuse in a, in a bit of a roundabout way. It's actually, I've been, uh, for the past 18 years, I've been running a counselling service for deaf people, which I set up back when I was the director of what was then Westminster Diocese Deaf Service. It's now Caritas Deaf Service. Not a lot of people know, but deaf people are much more likely to experience domestic abuse it's actually twice as likely. So you probably all know the statistic that one in four women experience domestic abuse in their lifetime. In the deaf community, it's one in two women. And they're also two to three times more likely to have experienced childhood sexual abuse. So a lot of the work that I've been doing for the past 18 years with the deaf community, not all of it, but a lot of it, has been working with survivors of domestic abuse and survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And obviously there's a lot of crossover there where people have experienced both. Probably for the last 10 years or so, I haven't quite counted up, I've been working with hearing people as well. And that's more specifically with with domestic abuse because that's what I'm known for. And working as well primarily with people with Christian or Catholic background who want someone who understands that background and understands domestic abuse. And I've been working, training groups of therapists and training parish groups and groups of catechists and what have you as well in in abuse awareness. What I've found over the years doing that is um, one of the main difficulties is there's, there's not consistency in terms of the response that people get when they turn to their church for help. We know from research that um, if someone is a person of faith and they're experiencing domestic abuse, 
they are much more likely to turn to their faith leader for support than to secular services. And the response they get there can make all the difference, sometimes the difference between life and death. Some of my clients have been referred to me by their parishes, have turned to their parish priests or, or people working in the parish and received fantastic support. I've got a client at the moment, she's getting financial help from the parish. She's had amazing practical and knowledgeable support from her parish and stuff like that is great. I've also got clients and more than you'd like to think who have turned to their priest and been told, go back and forgive your partner, your husband. It's usually husband. I, I do work with male victims as well, but most of them are women. Go back and forgive your, your husband. Go back and pray. Try and be a better wife. One was told to thank God for her suffering. You know, this, this is a real problem because sending someone back into danger can be a cause of death. You know, this is what we're dealing with. Um, I was a member of the um, Bishops' Conference Domestic Abuse Working Group, the, the original one. It's been started up again, thank goodness, I'm so pleased. Yeah. Um, the original group was, was started up as a response to a domestic homicide review. Um, when, when a Catholic woman had been killed by her husband along with her son who was trying to protect her. Um, things like this happen. I did some work consulting with Caritas Westminster a couple of years ago, working with them to try and improve services for people experiencing domestic abuse. And that again was started as a result of another domestic homicide review. So this is what we're dealing with, it's very serious. And the other thing that we need to bear in mind is that the, the leading cause of domestic abuse related death isn't murder, it's suicide. It's actually much higher. So psychological abuse can also be a cause of death. And when I meet people who say, well, it's okay to leave if you're hospitalized, if you're beaten black and blue, that's not the only thing that we need to be worried about. And also, the woman I mentioned who was murdered with her son, that was the first time her husband had been violent to her physically. And she died and her son died. So we, we need to be really aware. There's a real place for people to you know, obviously, we, they say you need a village to raise a child, and I think you often need a, a team of people to support somebody going through domestic abuse. And one of the wonderful things about this book is that there's such a wide variety of expertise in the book you'd never find from one author. You know, someone experiencing domestic abuse often has to work with police, with solicitors, with housing officers, refuge staff, all sorts of people with different expertise, therapists, whatever. But there's a real place for people who are not professionals, for people who are there because they want to be. I had one survivor say that every time she tried to talk to people in her church community, they would say, oh, go and talk to your therapist. And she said, 
it made me feel so worthless that I had to pay for someone to talk to me or to listen to me. And to know that somebody's there because they want to be there, because they care, they're, they're there out of love and support and solidarity is, is a very important thing. You do need to know some things about domestic abuse to be able to do that, but you don't need to be a professional. The things you need to know are things like where the nearest support is. If in parish communities you can find out in advance where your nearest agency is that deals with domestic abuse. One of the really important things about creating links between parishes, uh, church communities and agencies is that there's a lot of distrust <coughs> between the two. I've heard of people being told by their priest or pastor not to go to these services because they're not in keeping with the teachings of the Bible. I've had experience of my own clients who've turned to their priest and been told, oh, go back and pray, go back and forgive, or whatever. And then they've thought, well, that can't be right. And they've turned to well-known services dealing with domestic abuse and been told, well, just give up your religion if that's what your religion says. And these are people whose Catholic faith meant a great deal to them. And they felt they couldn't receive support from these organisations that weren't respectful of their spirituality and yet they couldn't receive support from their church because they were just being sent back into danger and they were left nowhere and luckily in the end I was able to work with them but you know there was lots of people out there that I'm, I'm not working with that are probably experiencing similar things so building up a good rapport between Service, secular services and parish communities so they can work together with trust and create warm referrals between each other is something that would be really important. Educate yourself, read about it, get training. There are organisations that give training in parishes, Stored is one of them. Understand why it's difficult to leave, why you're, you're 70 times more likely to be killed in the two week weeks after leaving than any other time. It's a very scary thing and there are all sorts of obstacles and difficulties. I've had, um, you know, when I've been giving training to parish communities, I've had people say, well, someone came up to me and I said, call the police. And they wouldn't. And so I didn't know what to do. And the thing is that calling the police, it works well for some people, but it's kind of a scary thing to do as a first step. And there are actually organisations that are focused on supporting the victim or survivor, first of all, that might have been a much easier step for them. So having awareness of that sort of thing is really, really helpful. I'm so grateful to you for giving us some practical things that we can do because often I know if for lots of people it's just hard to know where to start especially if someone comes up to you and says I'm experiencing this and then you think oh I don't know what to do um, I did by way of analogy a project about the Catholic Church's approach to death and dying and how to make that a more positive experience for people but people who are, are dying often experience a similar thing where people don't want to talk to them because they don't want to address this really serious thing that's happening and I think from what I'm hearing, it sounds very similar with 
people who are experiencing domestic abuse. By way of anecdote, when I was advertising this event, I posted about it on Facebook in several different groups that I'm a part of. And people started sending me messages and sharing their own experiences because I don't think that people talk about this from a Christian context, kind of in the public forum so much. And people were saying they had varying experiences of what priests would say to them and what their own family and friends would say to them too. So. I'm very grateful to you for giving us some some practical things that we can immediately go out and look at our local services and, and educate ourselves. So now we'll move on to Elizabeth, who works with the Employers Initiative on Domestic Abuse, who's going to talk to us about her work from quite a different angle, but one which I think we can all take on board and which fits very well with what we've been hearing so far. Well, I hope it does, because the whole reason of the Employers Initiative existing at all was to try and help change the culture. It came about because it was thought, well, where are people in Britain? If you want to change people in Britain, you've got to find out where they are. And luckily, most people in Britain are in work. Not all, but most. Um, and therefore, why not get employers to do something? And when this was suggested, there was a great deal of laughter and people saying that this was a mad idea because employers wouldn't want to do it, they wouldn't want to be associated with it, they would say this is people's private lives, it's nothing to do with us. But luckily, the first few employers that we talked to said things like, oh, goodness me, you're right, we've done all this stuff on mental health and we haven't even mentioned it. We'll do something, we'll put in policies, we'll train staff, we will take action. So we came into being about two years ago. Uh, since then, um, I'm pleased we've got more people than, than um, Steph mentioned. We're now up to 280 and we've got, uh, I think, 32 in the pipeline at the moment. So we hope to get over the 300 barrier soon. We're open to all employers, big or small. Some of the biggest names that you'll all know, Lloyds Bank, RBS, Santander, GWR, Vodafone, our members, the civil services member. So we've got big employers, but we've also got little ones. The smallest is an MP's office, has four staff. So we're, we want big employers, middle-sized employers and small employers to join. We don't tell people what to do, it's totally free to join. And what we've done is in response to what the employers who've joined have said, we've tried to make sure we've got access for them to services that will help them do some of the things that the other speakers have been talking about. So for example, two of our members have created an app Please download it, it's free, it's in the App Store. It's called Bright Sky. It was developed for people who weren't really very sure whether the relationship they were in was abusive or not. They knew it wasn't quite right, but they weren't sure that they were in an abusive relationship. So that's what we developed it for. It's got two pathways. It's got a pathway for somebody who's in a an abusive situation or who thinks they might be in an abusive situation. It's got another pathway for people who want to help people. And what it does, it's updated all the time with the services that are local to you. So you don't have to do anything except use the app. 
and you can find out what there is that's available. It's very useful if you are, somebody approaches you and says that they have, uh, are facing a difficulty in their relationship. You don't have to provide the information. You can say to them, why don't you download this app? I think you might find it really quite helpful because it's got a lot of local people services on. Have a look at it, or perhaps we'll look at it together. And people have, have found that very useful. Interestingly, as I say, it was developed for people who were in those situations. But when we launched it at one of our employers' networks, numbers of employers said, this is so good, I'm going to give it to all my HR staff. And others of them, police forces, several said, it's so good, I'm going to give it to all my frontline staff. We've also developed a toolkit for employers. Again, you can download it, it's free. It's on the Business in the Community website. Uh, in their well-being bit and it helps an employer think about what they should do, how to do it, uh, gives examples of things you might do in your business. Numbers of our employers have been fantastically creative. We've got the whole gamut, we've got people who've done a lot now and we've got people who are just thinking about perhaps they ought to do something. But some of our members have been amazingly creative. One they said to all their staff, they're a national organisation, they said to their staff across the UK, we're going to put on training for ambassadors who want to know more about domestic abuse and who want to be able to help colleagues or friends and relatives if they're facing domestic abuse. And they had a lot of volunteers and they trained them all. They then said, we're going to have a week on domestic abuse and they put this out on their intranet. They said three things. If you don't know anything about domestic abuse, talk to the ambassadors who'll be about, and they'll be wearing big badges which say, domestic abuse, talk to me. So if you'd like to know about it, talk to them. They'll all have a private room, and you can go and talk privately. If you're facing domestic abuse and would like help, talk to them. It'll be absolutely confidential. It won't be passed on to anybody else in the business. If you think you might be a perpetrator of domestic abuse or that you might be going to perpetrate domestic abuse, talk to them because they want you to get help too. And they had, within the first week, they had 25 disclosures. What was clever about it was because nobody would know if you went off to see one of these ambassadors whether you knew nothing about it or whether you were a perpetrator. So we've had some very imaginative stuff done. We're now very pleased that four of our members have put in place policies to give staff two weeks paid leave if they are sorting out domestic abuse. Vodafone, EY, Barking and Dagenham Local Authority and Hestia, the charity, have all put this policy in place. Not only is that useful and helpful, but it does give a very clear signal to everybody else in the business that the company's fussed about domestic abuse and wants to be helpful. And a really cheery bit of information that we've had recently from two companies who've done surveys on their newest intake of graduates about why did you choose to come and work for us and those two sets of graduates, there have been quite a number who have said, 
Well, when I looked on your website and saw what you were doing on domestic abuse, I thought, if you were worried about domestic abuse, you probably wanted to look after your staff. That's the reason I came. We've now got some absolute horror stories from companies that happened before they joined, one of which was a company where there was a homicide, and it was a company in which the person had disclosed to their manager and their manager, in my view, had done his best. He didn't know what to do, but he was very sympathetic and he said it was terrible what was happening to her. And he said, like the person you mentioned, he'd go to the police with her. She didn't want to go to the police. She'd had bad experiences in the country she came from of police and didn't think that she would get a sympathetic hearing. And she was worried about what the police would do in relation to her partner. She got herself a place to move to. She had disclosed to her manager, and her manager had said he would move her where she worked, and she'd said that would be very helpful for to be moved to another base. She filled in the forms with the post office for her change of address. Having told her manager what had happened to her, she went home, having said to the manager, I am going to leave tonight, I'm going home to pack, and I'm going to leave tonight, and I've got somewhere to go. When she got home, the post office had sent the standard thing they send to your current address to check that this isn't some false person asking for a change of address. And of course, the coercive partner had opened the letter so knew she was about to leave, and he killed her. That company, again, a nationwide company, they have now joined, and they're doing all sorts of things inside the company. But what was very interesting was what the CEO said to me when I went to see him, when they were considering whether they should join. He said, it's been dreadful for this company. And I said, well, I'm sure it has. I mean, it must be awful. It must be terrible for their colleagues. He said, yes, that's been absolutely terrible. It's, people have had to have counselling. I've had to pay for people to go to the funeral. I've had to pay for them to go to counselling. It's costing us a fortune. I've had to put senior members on, of staff onto a homicide review. So it's been very costly to the business on all, all those fronts. And he says, and I can't say that to anybody because all I can say is it's been terrible emotionally, which it has. But I'm finding it very difficult to make the case um, about how financially expensive it has been too. I'll stop talking, but before I do, I want to say, who do you work for? Do they belong? If they don't, please would you encourage them? And it doesn't have to be people you work for. Do you belong to a gym? Do you have a butcher? Do you go to the hairdresser? We want every employer in Britain to join. Elizabeth Filkin there, chair of the Employers Initiative on Domestic Abuse. Uh, lots of very interesting things there, not just from Elizabeth, but the app I found very interesting for people suffering abuse and people at risk of domestic abuse. And obviously that rather harrowing story about the organisation that 
hadn't joined but um you know a woman who was killed unfortunately and then they had an awful lot to do off the back of that and and then signed up so an awful lot of interesting stuff and important information there absolutely i mean i thought it was Mm. so worthwhile and i'm just glad that we can share it more widely now for other people to hear well i'm sure people will get a lot out of that i certainly did um perhaps it's a good time to sort of give those websites for the for the particular organizations represented there so restored has a website they do so restores website is restoredrelationships.org great and nikki's book which we spoke about earlier as well is called domestic abuse in church communities and if you just search for that online it's the first thing which pops up lovely and the employers initiative website is eida.org.uk Excellent. Steph, very well chaired as well, I thought. You did really well there. (laughs) Well, a very important topic. And as I say, I hope you've got something out of that. You can also check the Day for Life website, I believe, dayforlife.org, because domestic abuse was indeed the main topic for 2019. And you're encouraging applications for small grants? We are. That's correct. So every year, the Day for Life Fund gives grants to organisations working in life issues. Now, we take life to be the beginning and the end, but also everything in between. And with, you know, two women being killed every week, this is a life issue. And so this year, as you rightly say, we focus on domestic abuse for Day for Life. And so for 2020, we are inviting applications from organisations working in this particular field for small grants, as you say. There's lots more information available on the website, dayforlife.org. Thank you very much. Well, I rather fear, of course, that that will be the last Social Justice Matters of 2019. But you've got a lot planned for us, haven't you, for for the next year? We certainly do. So we've got podcasts planned around Laudato Si. It's the fifth anniversary of Laudato Si next year, the Pope's encyclical on the environment. Mm -hmm. We've also got lots to tell you from our Faith in Politics internship, which is for Catholic graduates going to work in Parliament. We're going to be talking about dementia. We're going to be talking about the environment. We're even, and bear with me, going to be talking to you about tax. Now, I know that might sound dull, but you've got to wait and see what we've got in store for you. (laughs) Steph, if you're going to make tax sound interesting, then I'm all in. (laughs) Wow. Well... I, I, I don't know what to say off the back of that, <laughs> apart from have a one- merry Christmas. Yeah, apart from have a wonderful <laughs> Christmas and and a, a very nice New Year, and we'll be back to talk about tax. Get and, your tax returns done. And way way more interesting things than that as well, in 2020 on Social Justice Matters. Mm-hmm.